Hello, sweet one. Are you feeling down or even defeated because you deem that you have failed at something? Whether it be at work or at home or in life in general. If so, do not allow it to hurt your soul, but rather celebrate in it. For what you deem as a failure is in reality a stumble. A stumble that allows you to gain the information you need to be a success. Before I can go further, you must first define what success is to you personally. As everyone has a different definition. And with that said, Success is not something tangible, although people may attach tangible things to it. Rather, success and failure are man-made constructs, just as the words good and bad are. And therefore, it has no reality on each individual bearer. Success should be tied to what motivates you. If you are motivated to make this a better place in which to live, and that should be the goal of all of us, then your own personal success should be tied to that. If you feel that your past actions may be in direct opposition to your definition of success have shown you to be a failure, then please know that you are wrong. You are wrong. Your past actions are what give you the knowledge to know how to better yourself. Your past helps you to understand how your words and your actions have worked to the detriment of others. And it is your past that will help you to be able to empathize with them and reconstruct your behavior to the betterment of all. Whatever it is that is your motivating force, once you have defined what success is to you personally, then you must take the next step in realizing that universally no one is successful who maintains a status quo. To be successful, you must be able to step outside the familiar into the unknown, and this venture is a journey that will be riddled with amazement, knowledge gathered, and with stumbling points. But remember, a stumble is not a fall, and only by allowing yourself to experience setbacks can you continue to move forward with hard work, persistence, and determination. It was once said that nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Genius will not. Education will not. Only persistence and determination alone are omnipotent in your goals to be successful. 
companies and people alike know this to be true and you must commit to it as well. Elon Musk's Cybertruck's broken window seemed like such a disaster, a promotional opportunity gone so wrong. And yet, it provided the company with a hyper-brand awareness opportunity that immediately became a viral video and resulted in 200,000 orders for the truck being placed immediately. What was a misstep? A stumble turned out to be a rewarded event. The idea of rewarding what might be failure is not a new idea. Intuit holds failure parties because the co-founder believes that every failure teaches something important that can be the seed for the next great idea. And even Google has been quoted as saying, it is important to reward failure as nothing ventured, nothing gained. And then there are countless examples of people who have failed, but through persistence and determination have been rewarded. People like Sir James Dyson. Did you know that Sir Dyson tried 5,216 times to invent his bagless vacuum cleaner? It wasn't until 15 years later that he was a success. And now the Dyson is a household name. Or what about Van Gogh, whose paintings are worth hundreds of millions of dollars? But when he was alive, he couldn't give his paintings away. In his entire lifetime, he sold but one, one single painting, and it was entitled The Red Vineyard. And so, sweet one, success takes determination and persistence, but it also takes internal fortitude. You must have the courage to try and fail, and fail, and fail, until finally, against seemingly impossible odds, you succeed. Do not allow the stumbles to bruise your ego or paralyze your drive. Rather wear the failure as a badge, a badge that alerts the world that you are committed to moving forward, that your stumble prevented you from the worst fall of all, the fall of inaction, or staying at the status quo. Remember, stumbles are milestones that allow you to pause and reflect on that information that you gained and move closer to your goals. Babies instinctively know that a stumble when learning to walk is just part of the process to getting to where they want to be. Rekindle that knowledge. Be the child you once were, willing to explore, to get bruised, and to reach greater heights than anyone 
would have ever imagined. And sweet one, never forget that you have the courage to know you are successful even when others may not. And to always keep with you a poem about success by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. We have not wings, we cannot soar, but we have feet to scale and to climb. By slow degrees, by more and more, the cloudy summits of our time, the mighty pyramids of stone that wedge like cleave the desert airs, when nearer seen and better known are but gigantic flights of stairs. The distant mountains that uprear their solid bastillions of the skies are crossed by pathways that appear as we to higher levels rise. The heights by which great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night. And if that is not enough, think like Summer Redstone once said, Build on failure and frustration, and sometimes on catastrophe, and success is just around the corner. Allow yourself the courage to fail, my sweet one. Learn from that failure, and try again, and your life will be rewarded. And with that said, I do have a story for you tonight. It is the second part of The Pen and the Pendulum. But before I read that to you, I want to introduce you to my sponsor. This episode is brought to you by my sponsor, Podcorn.com. And if you currently have a podcast, or if you are thinking of starting one soon, Podcorn is a name that you will want to remember Podcorn is a marketplace that connects podcasters to amazing native podcast sponsorship opportunities such as host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. With Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities write on their platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support you at every step and ensure that you are protected and compensated for the work that you do. For brands, their mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when you monetize. As for me, I personally love Podcorn. It allows me to find sponsors that match with my vision of helping to make a positive difference in the lives of others. Each potential sponsor lists a description that mentions about their product or their service. And from that, I can determine if it aligns with my culture. Please go to podcorn.com and sign up. It is free. 
and it does open a world of financial opportunities for you. Podcorn, it takes the pain out of finding and sponsoring on-demand audio shows, and it empowers podcasters to monetize their voices and their passions in a way that is engaging for listeners. Click the link in my episode description to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities. And with that said, I want to now tell you about the story. My outstretched hands at length encountered some solid obstruction. It was a wall, seemingly of stonemasonry, very smooth, slimy, and cold. I followed it up, stepping with all the careful distrust with which certain antique narratives have inspired me. This process, however, afforded me no means of ascertaining the dimensions of my dungeon, as I might make its circuit and return to the point whence I set out without ever being aware of the fact. So perfectly uniformed seemed the wall. I therefore sought the knife which had been in my pocket and which had led into the inquisitorial chamber. But it was gone. My clothes had been exchanged for a wrapper of coarse serge. I had thought of forcing the blade in some minute crevice of the masonry so as to identify my point of departure. The difficulty, nevertheless, was but trivial, although, in the disorder of my fancy, it seemed at first insuperable. I tore a piece of the hem from the robe and I placed a fragment at full length and at right angles to the wall. In groping my way around the prison, I could not fail to encounter this rag upon completing the circuit. So at least I thought. But I had not counted upon the extent of the dungeon or upon my own weakness. The ground was moist and slippery. I staggered onward for some time when I stumbled and fell. My excessive fatigue induced me to remain prostrate, and sleep soon overtook me as I lay. Upon awakening and stretching forth an arm, I found beside me a loaf and a pitcher with water. I was too exhausted to reflect upon the circumstance, but I ate and I drank with avidity. Shortly afterward, I resumed my tour around the prison, and with much toil, came at last upon the fragment of the surge. Up to the period where I fell, I had counted fifty-two paces, and upon resuming my walk, I had counted forty-eight more. When I arrived at the rag, there were in all then one hundred paces, and admitting two paces to the yard, I presumed that the dungeon to be fifty yards in circuit. I had met, however, with the many angles in the wall, and thus I could not form no guess as to the shape of the vault, for the vault I could not help supposing it to be. I had little object, certainly no hope, these researches 
but a vague curiosity prompted me to continue them. Quitting the wall, I resolved to cross the area of the enclosure. At first, I proceeded with extreme caution, for the floor, although seemingly a solid material, was treacherous with slime. At length, however, I took courage and did not hesitate to step firmly, endeavoring to cross in as direct a line as possible. I had advanced some ten or twelve paces in this manner when the remnant of the torn hem of my robe became entangled between my legs. I stepped on it, and I fell violently on my face. In the confusion attending my fall, I did not immediately apprehend a somewhat startling circumstance which yet, in a few seconds afterward, and while I still lay prostrate, arrested my attention. It was this. My chin rested upon the floor of the prison, but my lips and the upper portion of my head, although seemingly at a less elevation than my chin, touched nothing. At the same time, my forehead seemed bathed in a clammy vapor, and the peculiar smell of decayed fungus arose to my nostrils. I put forward my arm and shuddered to find that I had fallen at the very brink of a circular pit, whose extent, of course, I had no means of ascertaining at the moment. Groping about the masonry just below the margin, I succeeded in dislodging a small fragment and let it fall into the abyss. For many seconds I hearkened to hear its reverberations as it dashed against the sides of the chasm in its descent. At length, there was a sullen plunge into water, succeeded by loud echoes. At the same moment, there came a sound resembling the quick opening and his rapid closing of a door overhead, where a faint gleam of light flashed suddenly through the doom and as suddenly faded away. I saw clearly the doom which had been prepared for me and congratulated myself upon the timely accident by which I had escaped. Another step before my fall, and the world would have seen me no more. And the death just avoided was of that very character which I had regarded as fabulous and frivolous in the tales respecting the Inquisition. To the victims of its tyranny, there was the choice of death with its direct physical agonies, or death with its most hideous moral horrors. I had been reserved for the latter. By long suffering my nerves had been unstrung until I trembled at the sound of my own voice and had become, in every respect, a fitting subject for the species of torture which awaited me. Shaking in every limb, I groped my way back to the wall, resolving there to perish rather than to risk the terrors of the well, of which my imagination now pictured many in various positions about the dungeon. In other conditions of mind, I might have had the courage to end my misery at once by a plunge into one of these abysses. But now I was the veriest of cowards. Neither could I forget what I have read of the pits, 
that the sudden extinction of life formed no part of their most horrible plan. Agitation of spirit kept me awake for many long hours, but at length I again slumbered. Upon arousing, I found by my side, as before, a loaf and a pitcher of water. A burning thirst consumed me, and I emptied the vessel at a drought. It must have been drugged, for scarcely had I drunk before I became irresistibly drowsy. A deep sleep fell upon me, a sleep like that of death. How long it lasted, of course, I know not. But when, once again, I unclosed my eyes, the objects around me were visible. By a wild, sulfurous luster, the origin of which I could not at first determine, I could see the extent and aspect of the prison. In its size, I had been greatly mistaken. The whole circuit of the walls did not exceed twenty-five yards. For some minutes, this fact occasioned me a world of vain trouble. Vain, indeed, for what could be of less importance under the terrible circumstances which environed me than the mere dimensions of my dungeon. But my soul took a wild interest in trifles, and I busied myself in endeavors to account for the error I had committed in my measurement. The truth at length flashed upon me. In my first attempt at exploration, I had counted fifty-two paces up to the period where I fell. I must have been within a pace or two of the fragment of surge. In fact, I had nearly performed the circuit of the vault. I had slept, and upon awakening, I must have returned upon my steps, thus supposing the circuit nearly double what it actually was. My confusion of mind prevented me from observing that I began my tour with the wall to the left and ended it with the wall to the right. I had been deceived, too, in respect to the shape of the enclosure. In feeling my way, I had found many angles and thus deduced an idea of great irregularity. So potent is the effect of total darkness upon one arousing from lethargy or sleep. The angles were simply those of a few slight depressions, of niches at odd intervals. The general shape of the prison was square. What I had taken for masonry seemed now to be iron or some other metal in huge plates whose sutures or joints occasioned the depression. The entire surface of this metallic enclosure was rudely dabbled in all the hideous and repulsive devices to which the charnel superstition of the monks had given rise. The figures of fiends and aspects of menace with skeleton forms and other more really fearful images overspread and disfigured the walls. I observed that the outlines of these monstrosities were sufficiently distinct, but that the colors seemed faded and blurred as if from the effects of a damp atmosphere. I now noticed the floors too, which was of stone. In the center yarn, the circular pit from whose jaws I had escaped, but it was the only one in the dungeon. All this I saw indistinctly and by much effort, for my personal condition had been greatly changed during slumber. 
and now lay upon my back and at full length on a species of low framework of wood. To this I was securely bound by a long strap resembling a single. It passed in many convulsions about my limbs and body, leaving at liberty only my head and my left arm to such extent that I could by dint of much exertion supply myself with food from an earthen dish which lay by my side on the floor. I saw, to my horror, that the pitcher had been removed. I say to my horror, for I was consumed with intolerable thirst. This thirst appeared to be designed at my persecutors to stimulate, for the food in the dish was meat pungently seasoned. Looking upward, I surveyed the ceiling of my prison. It was some thirty or forty feet overhead, and constructed much as the side walls. In one of its panels, a very singular figure riveted my whole attention. It was a painted figure of time, as he is commonly represented, say that in lieu of a scythe, he held what, at a casual glance, I supposed to be a pictured image of a huge pendulum, such as we see on antique clocks. There was something, however, in the appearance of this machine, which caused me to regard it more attentively. While I gazed directly at it, for its position was immediately over my own, I fancied that I saw it in motion. In an instant afterward, the fancy was confirmed. Its sweep was brief and, of course, slow. I watched it for some minutes, somewhat in fear, but more in wonder. Wearied at length with observing its dull movement, I turned my eyes upon the other objects in the cell. And that, my sweet one, is where we will end today. And so I've told you about how there is no such thing as failure. For every misstep gives us knowledge that we need in order to be a success. And then, as promised, I told you about the second part of the pen and the pendulum. That is a continuation of the thought from last week. The things may seem bad, and then they may seem worse. But if you hold on, if you hold on to hope, good things will happen. I want you to remember that, and I want you to sleep well. Good night, my sweet one.